And now, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming the woman who won more than 65,800,000 votes in the last election, Hillary Rodham Clinton. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, that didn't happen. Here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? Fellow Americans, it's time, it's time to, to speak out. out. They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We won't be We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, yes we, we can. can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public, to public Access, Access America. America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. There was a history of people in presidential debates who had deviated in a way to show frustration, anger, dismissiveness, whatever their feelings were, and paid a heavy price for it. And I thought, whatever price they paid, I would pay double or triple. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, okay, I'm going to... You know, I, I sort of thought at the end of the day, people would say, yeah, we really do want somebody who's calm and composed in the Oval Office. And so <clears throat> I, I was aware of all the different cross currents, but I carried on in a way that I thought uh, was what a president or someone who wants to be president should do. Well, and you say in the book, it's, and I think you're referring to longer than this campaign, that you've, you sort of have to wear your composure like a suit of armor, yeah. and that that's what you did. Yeah, you know, but, you know, you know, everybody in the audience knows that feeling that the next day or the middle of the night, you wake up and say, oh, if only I had oh, yeah. said that. Um, there, there always is that. I mean, you do, I thought that the, you know, it's the toughest job in the world. It's a job that requires, or at least used to require a level of um, you know curiosity and focus and things that 
you'd want to think somebody with that responsibility would have. And I honestly believe we were in a different kind of campaign, unlike any I'd ever seen before. I mean, I've watched people go up and down in campaigns. I've worked in them. I you know, was deeply involved, obviously, in my husband's two campaigns. I, I know the ebb and flow of a campaign. This was really different. And I, I don't think anybody fully grasped how it was a variation on a presidential campaign, unlike any we'd ever seen. And I, now looking back, see a lot of different, uh, you know, signals about that, that maybe I could have, and my campaign could have done a better job trying to figure out how to push back on or uh, make more transparent so that people would understand, you know, boy, I'll tell you what, that campaign of his, they have the best empty podium that anybody's ever seen. I mean, get people to think and even laugh a little bit about what was happening in that campaign. But, you know, that, that uh, didn't happen soon enough, and it didn't happen uh, in quite enough places. Um, did you watch the Emmys last night at all? I did. I did. Well, and you and I think many people may know you and your husband are big fans of, of television dramas and comedies. And um, um, if you watched, as I'm sure many of you did, you know that The Handmaid's Tale was a big winner. And you, um, you and I have actually talked about that book in the past, um, written in 1985, dystopian work of fiction that, of course, uh, is now this wildly popular TV. Uh, series that uh, is about a liberal s democracy slowly and very definitively becoming a totalitarian state, which of course is sadly and distressingly resonant at the moment. And um, that whole idea of the normalization of the abnormal is terrifying. Um, by the way, doesn't it just bug you when people say Trump is the, this is the new normal? I mean, we should never call it normal, right? We should never say it's not normal. It's like the new abnormal. It's not the new normal. But I mean, seriously, it's, it's terrifying. And The Handmaid's Tale res resonates because of that. Um, you do talk a lot about that in your book. And you, you know, from voter suppression, from the manipulation of the media to fake news to everything else, um, and just the assault on the democratic institutions we rely on that we need to be able to trust. Yeah. It's scary. And you, of course, you know, we'll, we'll get to the, the, the fake news Russia stuff yeah. in a minute. But Well, look, I, I, part of the reason I was motivated to write this is because of what happened um, at the inauguration. And I, 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 I write the first chapter about what it felt like to go to the inauguration, and what a hard decision it was, uh, but how I thought that it was important to show continuity of our government. I was certainly hoping to hear words of reconciliation and bringing the country together after you know a very uh, divisive campaign. Didn't hear that, and I felt very uneasy about that inauguration. I've been to a bunch of them, and I've been when people I supported won and people I supported lost. But this was different. This was not a normal inauguration. And then it was made even more uh, surreal 
with the claims about the crowd size and the introduction of alternative facts. And then I started thinking, whoa, this is much more than just transfer from a two-term Democratic president to an unusual but uh, you know, Republican president. Um, and I just couldn't, I couldn't really grasp how big a challenge they intended to pose to facts and evidence and reason, all of which are fundamental to the functioning of a democracy uh, like ours. And so when I saw that, I thought, you know, this is much, much bigger than any transfer of presidential power that I'm aware of in recent history um, because of the assumptions that uh, the new administration was operating on and the brazenness of their uh, attempt to distort reality and impose their version uh, of facts and truth on all the rest of us despite what we saw with our own eyes. That bothered me greatly because I've said before, if I had lost you know, to another Republican candidate, somebody else had emerged from the uh, Republican primary, I would have felt bad, I would have really been disappointed, but I wouldn't have worried about the fundamental future of our country, our institutions, our rule of law, and this imperative of reason that motivated our founders and which is still absolutely essential. So I think this became a, a resonant theme with me uh, because you can disagree about policies, you can disagree about all kinds of things, but you can't begin to chip away at the basis of our government's functioning and our democratic um, norms without paying a very big price. Uh, so yes, in the book, I, uh, you, you won't be surprised, I mention uh, The Handmaid's Tale, I mention uh, 1984, I mention Brave New World, uh, because I, I want readers to say, okay, I may not agree with everything she says, but you know what? Uh, I have to agree with this fundamental premise that we can't sacrifice truth and facts on the altar of partisanship uh, and the desire on the part of a particular president and his administration to control the news, to undermine the First Amendment, to just create this alternate reality. Uh, because I think the stakes of what we face in this time uh, are just profound. And I've said before, and I will repeat it here, I think that this president and the people who serve him on this alternative reality track um, are posing a clear and present danger to the future of our country. Um, and I think one of the most powerful, clearest, most persuasive chapters 
uh, in the book is um, is is the is the one about bots and trolls and Russians and fake news. And you you begin that section of the book. Um, one of I know one of your favorite books is Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, and you have a line um, from Dostoevsky that begins this section of the book: "When reason fails, the devil helps." And um, and then of course you do talk about trolls, bots, fake news, conspiracy theories, and my favorite term, from Russia with no love. Um, but in all seriousness, this is an incredibly uh, clear connecting of dots based on what evidence is now available. Um, presumably, there will be more coming out. But um, anyway, thank you for that, because it's, it's really essential that everybody read that. Um, I also, I've never had a chance to thank you for something publicly that I would like to thank you for now. How many of you were in Washington during what is now infamously known as Pizzagate? Where, okay. And those of you who've been to politics and pros on Connecticut Avenue know that the store is only a few doors down from Comet Ping Pong. And you, of course, were onto this stuff because of what was going on in the campaign before a lot of us realized the extent of it. And you and I spoke shortly after the election, and you asked, you knew that Comet was being targeted, um, that politics and pros and some of the other businesses were being targeted, and you, you actually said you were willing to speak out about it, for which we were grateful. At the time, everybody thought that we needed to all kind of lie low for a bit. The day that the gunman with the assault weapon walked into Comet on a Sunday afternoon, December 4th, about an hour after that, I, you and I communicated, and I told you what was going on, and you responded instantly, and we were so supportive, which was incredibly helpful. We were all on lockdown on the entire block with police running up and down the streets. And then, and people don't know this, uh, a few days after that, you and your husband said, what can we do to support Comet? Can we buy pizzas? And you bought, I don't know how many pizzas, but it was a lot of pizzas, and sent them to a literacy program, an after-school literacy program in D.C., which was never publicized. Um, and you checked in on me a lot, because we, were, we, were, we weren't dealing with it in the same way Comet Ping Pong was, but we were also in, you know, getting trolled in the whole nine yards and ha harassment calls. I just can't tell you how important it was for me, for Brad, for our entire staff, for our entire block, for the people at Comet, to know that you and President Clinton were there for us, quietly, and nobody knew it. So I just, I've never had a chance to thank you publicly, and I, I did want to do that. So thank you. Um, and, you know, if, if I could just say a word, because we're in Washington, and this horrible chain of events happened here, but this is a terrible uh, example of what can be done by people who are malicious, unacquainted with the truth, and pursuing their own agendas, whether it be commercial advantage, partisan advantage, uh, or any other uh, goal. For those of you who don't follow it or may not remember it, you know, when John Podesta's emails were stolen, I hate the word hacked, they were stolen. They were stolen by the Russians. And they were then, through cutouts, given to WikiLeaks, which is nothing more than a tool of Putin and the Kremlin. Mm -hmm. 
And certainly people associated with Trump knew about it because in August, Roger Stone was tweeting about how John Podesta would find himself, you know, in the barrel some point ahead. So on October 7th, one of the more infamous days in uh, the campaign, the day started with the Director of Homeland Security, the Secretary, uh, Jay Johnson, the Director of National Intelligence, Jim Clapper, uh, saying that with high confidence, they knew the Russians had been behind those hacks, those thefts of emails. That happened in the morning. Then the Hollywood Access tape broke a few hours later, and within one hour, such an amazing coincidence, WikiLeaks dumped all of John Podesta's personal emails. Now, if you read those emails, I think it's a little embarrassing to admit they're very anodyne, even boring. Um, <laughs> but because they were, the way that the Russians and their allies, whoever they turn out to be, were able to... were able to generate constant interest really was, was two factors. One, they sent the press on these wild goose chases all over the place. Oh, here comes a hundred more, here comes a thousand more, oh my gosh. And then, of course, the other was that they created the illusion of transparency. If you think you're getting something from, you know, sort of behind the screen, maybe it's more legitimate, even though you're being played by a bunch of Russians. And the psychology of it was brilliant. And of course, it's part of the Russian uh, propaganda effort, something called active measures, which they've used in many other settings, not just in our election. Well, you can only go so far with um, read these emails and listen to people as in every campaign you can imagine, debate about what to do when and who says what and all of that. So they had to be weaponized. They had to have elements plucked out and perverted in a way that would be hard to imagine and then sent back out into the you know, cyber virtual world. So in one of the emails, John Podesta is talking about pizza. He's Italian and Greek, I mean, you know. <laughs> And a very good cook. And a very good cook. And yeah, his risotto recipe is still there if you want to see it. Um, and I'm sure there's something very nefarious about that risotto recipe. So, so all of a sudden, John's writing about pizza. And one of these really, I consider, uh, evil people in the media world uh, and in the online world out of whole cloth make up this story that John Podesta and I are running a child trafficking ring in the basement of the Comet Pizza Parlor. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, Tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation
salvation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, you, and nobody, nobody gonna hit as hard as fight. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you get. It's about how hard you get. And keep moving forward. How much you take it. keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Yes, we can. I wanted to run out of that tunnel. For my dad. To prove to everyone what? Public Access America. Yes, we can. On SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and now Facebook. Public Access, Public America. Access America. History in the history making. In the making. 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 History in history the making. In the making. For your next favorite podcast, stop searching and let Potable do the work for you. Potable is the only podcast listening platform that uses artificial intelligence to recommend podcasts tailored to you. Import your favorites automatically and instantly discover countless options. Download the app in the iOS App Store or visit potable.co to access a world of discovery. Yep, that's potable. P-O-D-I-B-L-E. That's some good app. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online, and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 